Hey guys, Jack here. After 119 episodes, uh, we missed a week for the first time. Uh, my apologies. We were wrapped up with a bunch of Software-Y activities, including the Heads Up Challenge, uh, some other top-secret activities, and finally, uh, the Academy. You can check out the footage from the Heads Up Challenge. Uh, we'll post a link to that in the show notes. And yeah, a lot of exciting stuff to come on that front, but not to be announced quite yet. Some other news, I'll be in Florida for the WPT series uh, this April. So if you're going to be around, uh, feel free to shoot me a note. And yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy this week's episode. Good afternoon, Zach. Hey, Jack. How you doing? I'm doing fantastically. How are you doing? Doing well. Slept slept many hours, so feeling pretty good. Yeah, that's a good. That's good. Uh, need to get some sleep before some top secret software why action this evening. So, I hear that you have a hand for me. Yeah, this was my second session after a pretty long hiatus from uh, live poker. I played at the Win for a few hours, and then you know met up with you and Peter at the Venetian a little bit later. So this is a spot you know that some people might advise that I not get myself into, given that I raised the small blind after it was folded to me. I definitely understand the argument that it's very difficult to beat the rake, but when you're like over 200 big blinds deep and you feel like you have a good good sense of kind of your opponent in the short period you've been playing with him, and I think just what it kind of does for your overall image, I... I'm a big fan of of opening the small blind uh or definitely not chopping in the big blind most of the time. Yeah, I think it just depends on the context. I th- I think it's really bad for the game to like totally mix up your precedent to like chop with one side and not chop with the other or to chop like if you have a good hand or if you have a bad hand and not chop if you have a good hand. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's just really bad for the vibe. What I do think is okay is waiting for the first chopping situation and deciding if like this is going to be a chopping day or a not chopping day based on that situation. Normally, if I thought I was going to have more chopping situations playing the big blind, then I would be less likely to chop. Like if, for example, like if I know that there's a really active player on the button when I'm in the small blind, but the when I'm in the big blind, the button's going to be very not active, then I'm less likely to chop on that day. Yeah, and I also think it's important to like how it's going to be perceived even despite your intention. So most of the time, I'm pretty friendly. And when I say I don't chop, I'm like, I just want to take all your money and not stop gambling or something to that effect. And it's usually taken well, but sometimes it's not been taken well. And, you know, I definitely think for sure, you know, coming with a hoodie and a backpack and you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't chop like that. That's pretty bad for the game. But correspondent John Metz is kind of shaking his head. Looks like he wants to get into this conversation here. What do, you, what do you have to say on this, uh, John? Yeah, just real quick, I don't think you can uh, really choose whether or not you chop. Like Jack mentioned, like, basing on the first hand, I think you should either always chop or always not chop. I've been told by, like, multiple kind of, like, old-school grinder types that, like, it's, like, the most unethical thing, you, or one of the most unethical things you can do in poker. And in addition to that, I really question, like, I haven't done the math myself, but... I question whether or not you can even beat the rake playing heads up out of the blinds. Yeah, I think in 100 ish big blind poker, like 100%. Uh, maybe I'm just biased because I've ran really well not chopping out of the small blind. But I've like won a, a ton of like huge 500 
plus big blind pots because people like don't know how to play a chop pot. So when I'm like pretty deep and feel like I have a good sense of the table, I feel like I could definitely beat the rake. So it's more of a question of like, you know, the the ethics of it. Do, do you personally feel like it's very unethical to, depending on the situation, chop or not chop? I think it's super unethical if you're basing it off of like what your whole cards are. I also just think it's, I, I didn't mention this before, I think it's really bad for the game. I mean, I've just never, I've never seen someone like not chop and like get like a positive reaction or, and I understand like maybe that's what you're going for. Like you want someone to tilt and like just kind of spaz into you. But like, I also haven't seen that a lot. My my, my samples obviously have been different from your sack, but like, yeah, it's hard to say. Cleveland's pretty grumpy. All poker yeah. economy is considered. I also definitely think there's something to being a little bit friendlier in your local room. Like you don't want the fish to like quit you because you didn't chop with them once. Whereas if you're, if you're traveling for poker, then I think you have your options are a little bit more flexible. I agree that rake should be a huge factor in this decision. So if you're in a room that's raked more heavily then chopping is much more advisable. That being said, if you're in a room where they take a rake, even if you chop, then maybe don't chop. And that definitely happens. Like, so anyway, en- enough on this. You didn't chop, which is, you know, okay. And I guess it led to a fun situation. So we'll call the podcast equity included. A, this is a plus EV decision. And yeah, I definitely wasn't chopping because I got kings. <laughs> so I got, I got kings in the small blind. And this is like basically after running like God kind of like blowing the table in 45 minutes I'm up from like a thousand only to like 2100 because I lost like a medium-sized pot but I'm just like winning all these small pots like took it down pre at least like six or seven times in a pretty short sample just playing and the nice thing is everyone's playing their hands pretty fast at this table so I kind of have like this image where and and I've I've shown down two hands and both have been like premium hands one was I three bet queens when there was like uh, an open an open from like a probably like a professionally type person, but definitely played like way too tight. And then four calls, and he opened a twenty five under the gun, and I just had like queens on the button, and I just like make it. I think I make it one fifty or one seventy five. I get two calls, and then the flop is two queen four rainbow, and the short stack just like shoves. So I'm kind of just looking. There's a lot of players that I think are really conscious of, like, runs and, like, oh, wow, like, okay, like, this guy might be playing too many hands, but he's definitely, like, on a run. I want to stay out of his way. And that's kind of, I think, how I'm being perceived by most of these players. The the player in this hand is a very much, like, a, a thinking, like, thoughtful amateur player who I think in some lineups is, like, definitely winning. He's in the big blind, so I think he's, like, has probably a little more skepticism on my ranges, as he should. Than, than most so i make it 20 in the small blind uh, i might make it 25 but when i have kings i'm shortly sizing down for the first time i'm in this situation uh and i've been making it 20 more like unopened even though making it more like 30 40 with a limp or two he thinks for a bit in calls and he thinks for a bit in a way where it's like it doesn't seem like he's considering folding it seems like he's probably considering like three betting or something so i think that's definitely relevant so we, we go to the flop, you know, effectively like it's called 40 in the pot. 
And the flop is the 10-7-6 with two spades, the 10-7 of spades, and I have a, the king of spades. So 10-7-6, two spades, here is a spade, and I bet 30 into $40. Would you repeat the effective stack? The effective stack is villain with about 1300 So in this wide range spot, I mean, obviously, like, what your range actually is <laughs> is kind of interesting since maybe you would have chopped with worse holdings. But in what's likely to be perceived is a wide range spot, I don't think your opponent can just like abuse you through raises here. Like on in other boards, like this might favor the preflop caller, or especially in like a three bet pot, it favors the three bet caller rather than the three better. But in this instance, uh, I don't think. Either of you have a significant range advantage, and if anyone would, it would be you. So I think you can bet and expect to get raised by a pretty honest range. And I think it's worth betting rather than check calling. Like, I think check calling is an option, especially with the king of spades, but I think it's going to be pretty obvious, like, what cards on the turn are bad for you and what cards are good for you. And I think it's good to get information right now about whether your opponent is holding an edited hand because if they are, they will raise on this board. People just don't slowly play these boards. So I think betting is the move, and 30 to 40 is a good sizing. Uh, I wouldn't even mind potting it. Like, cool. So Villain makes it 85, and uh, I think I have a pretty straightforward call. I think raising would be pretty bad, and I think folding would be pretty bad. I think for that sizing... You know, a little under 3x, we could maybe weight it a little bit more towards, like, one pair hands and draws rather than, like, the top of the range. But we also could just, like, not weigh it to anything because I haven't seen how he plays in this spot. I do think you should consider a 3-bet, but I think calling is very likely best. If you have some sort of read or expectation that this guy is going to be raising a lot wider, you know, with a lot of gut shots, with a lot of one-pair hands, then I think you have a case for three-betting because, again, I just think, like, if we three-bet and get four-bet, like, we're we're good to fold. If we three-bet and face a call, then playing future streets is going to be really tricky, which is part of why, like, most people don't three-bet here and why I would maybe suggest that you also don't three-bet here. But I do think your hand clearly needs protection, and if you think your opponent just has a range where you have a big equity advantage, then it's probably not worth letting them realize and playing out of position for two streets and instead force them to fold a good amount of their range on the turn and then just hope to realize like as much of your equity as you can on turn and river, whether that's through betting or just checking. So I think it's worth considering. I think the call is fine. I wouldn't fold, although honestly I don't hate folding, but... In the world where I think three-betting is an option, folding is not an option. Yeah, I could imagine some opponents in which I'd consider three-betting here, but this is just not one of them. I don't think he's raising with that many gut shots. I could see him raising with some gut shots, especially like with a spade, but I also would not be surprised if he had zero gut shots in his range, and it's just a combination of like spade draws, open-enders, and maybe like some top pair plus. So I think against that range, calling is much better. Yeah, I think also one thing I forgot to discuss is the fact that your opponent 
considered three venting you, or it seems that they consider three venting you. And that makes, I think, gut shots and one pair of hands significantly less likely. So I think you're much more likely against a range of like, against a range of flush draws and some not holdings and we'll see. Cool. So I call. So now we have $210 going into the turn. And it's the very interesting six of spades. So now the board is 10766 with three spades. I think I have a very clear check here. While I did improve against 107 suited exactly, I think we could discount that based on the preflop. And I think the villain has a lot of spade draws that just got there. And I also think, you know, villain has some maybe even some some full houses that we were behind against but you know now are definitely definitely way ahead of us so i think this is like a probably one of the worst cards in the deck uh for me so i'm intending on check deciding likely intending to check fold yeah i like i like that idea i think this is a card that a lot of people misplay because they had kings they have a spade it's like just because you just because you turned equity doesn't mean you have to call. And the thing to remember is that the range that we thought was most likely on the flop now has us pretty much crushed. And even though like our king of spades will be good some of the time the four spade comes in, it's really still just not a very like valuable card to have. So if we think that our pair of kings is just rarely, rarely good, and we're going to have to draw out on our opponent the majority of the time to win then I would definitely just check fold. That's especially thinking that a lot of the hands that we do have equity against will check back. Like, I think 9-8 with no spade would strongly consider checking back on this turn card since a lot of hands that we could have... I mean, we're not likely to have a set here, but we definitely could have 7-6. We definitely could have flushes. And we might not, we probably won't call with a lot of our overpairs on this turn card. So I think 9 8 is in a situation where it probably makes sense for them to check this card most of the time. And so against the hands that we do have significant equity against, we'll probably be able to realize that equity. Cool. So villain checked back. So now we have 210 in the pot going to a river which is an offsuit jack, I believe the jack of clubs. So the final board is 6, 7, 10, 6, jack with three spades. And I think this is kind of, for me, the most interesting decision point in the hand, which is, you know, should I be going for value, given that the villain checked back? What are your thoughts on this, Jack? No, I don't think this is a, a spot where you can go for value. I think this is a spot where your opponent has straights which are not folding they have some full houses which could have slow played they could have a slow played flush it seems less likely so you you're losing your bet to like those hands and then it's just a question of you know what hands might call you i just don't see like 10 7 calling uh, there's also the, the chance that your opponent has a hand like 8 6 or something they decided not to to check back on the turn and that's also, you know, that's another hand that you lose to. Uh, I just don't see you getting any value here. So I would just check, evaluate, and probably check fold. 
Yeah, I think in retrospect, that's that's kind of what I thought too. I opted to make kind of like a smaller value bet targeting like 10x or like Queen Jack, hands that I'm now beating. And I bet 100 into 210. And the villain very quickly raised to 300. And I just snap folded and showed the king of spades and said I had a king high flush. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah, I mean, good fold. I wouldn't, I would never say that I fold a flush because I don't want, I don't like people bluffing me, basically. It's not an emotional thing. It's a strategic thing. I think if I can feel confident that most of my opponents are only bluffing like their absolute best bluffing candidates, it just bodes well for my strategy. Where if like people thought that you were just like folding the king high flush here, even if they thought it was good fold, the fact that you snap folded and then showed what might make them think that you're kind of a knit, which is, you know, you're not like, I just don't want people to bluff me. And so I, I, I don't see what this necessarily accomplishes. Generally speaking, I'm in agreement with you, but, you know, given the game dynamic that I mentioned before with me just kind of getting a lot of good hands running over the table, building up a stack very quickly to then show it's like, oh, wow, like he's still just getting really great cards and he's like capable of folding. It kind of just adds that aura of like, oh, man, I don't want to play in a pot against him. And this guy was like, wow, that's crazy because I had the ace high flush. I definitely don't like his line checking back the turn. But I think it makes sense. You know, we're pretty deep. And the way I've been playing, I think the combination of, like, just not wanting to get check raised <laughs> because the board paired. And then also, yeah, not wanting to check raise in his mind maybe me inducing bluffs on the river. So it, it, it makes sense. But, yeah, I think this is definitely a spot where I like showing that. And also, because I snap folded, I said I had the king high flush. But, like, most people are not going to believe that you snap fold the king high flush here. So it's... I'm not I'm not showing that I'm folding the king high flush. So I think I think it definitely is like good for kind of my strategy and, and image doing this specific thing at this at this time. All right. Well thank you for sharing the hand and uh I wish both of us better run good in the near future. I think our last few hands we've shared we've gotten smashed. So let's turn it around and release some podcasts where we just get absolutely sick value. 